It's time for Drive-By Theology with Dr. Steve Lawson and Todd Friel. If you want to work your way to heaven, good luck. This is Lecture 22 of Drive-By Theology. No, I don't believe in luck, but that's why I say good luck earning your way to heaven. If you want to scratch, if you want to crawl, if you want to work, if you want to do Knock yourself out. You are climbing a rope of sand. There is a much better option, and it is the doctrine of justification. That is the subject that we are going to tackle underneath a new chapter here on Drive-By Theology, and that is soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. This is rich, it is glorious, and it is great good news. If you are weary and heavy laden, there is complete forgiveness of sins. You can be brought into union with God. You can be adopted. You can be forgiven. You can be granted everlasting life, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did. He paid it all. But hey, if you want to work your way there, knock yourself out. Justification. This is the glorious diamond of the soteriology theologies. Yes, in fact, the Reformers called justification by faith alone the very hinge of the gospel. In other words, everything pivots on this doctrine. Uh, They also referred to it as the rising or the falling of the church. Hold to this doctrine and you are a true church because you understand salvation, but deny this truth and it is the collapse and the fall of your church. Is it fair to say that of all the issues involved in the Reformation, that this was the mother of all battles, the doctrine of justification? Well, I think, actually, sola scriptura, which we covered in our first several lessons, is at the base of that. But now we enter into what is the message of salvation, who is accepted by God into heaven. This was at the very heart of that. The Roman Catholic position then, as it is today, is different than the Protestant understanding of justification. We believe in imputed righteousness. They believe in infused righteousness. What's the difference? Well, imputed righteousness deals with the very righteousness of Christ once and for all, now and forever, charged to our account. It's a, it's a bookkeeping metaphor that we who are spiritually bankrupt would have the riches of Christ's grace deposited into our account. It's also a clothing metaphor that we would be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ, that God would see us with acceptance. But with Rome to infuse righteousness into us, the idea is not our position before God, but that we actually in our personhood, begin to act and live a certain way as to achieve our own right standing before God. Is it fair to say imputation accrediting infused righteousness is an infusion, can I use the term, if you will, injection? At baptism, you get injected with righteousness, and if you never sin again, you're good to go. But if you do... Then you have to do acts of penance, you have to do confession, you have to do works in order to keep your slate clean. In other words, you have to work in order to attain heaven. Yes, all that's done is brought you up to speed to that point in your life, but you're going to have to now keep it from here on out with your good works, and there's plenty more to add to this maze of religiosity, a standard that no one can even meet. Yeah, that's... that. 
frankly isn't good news to me because I know me and I know I won't do those things and I know the things that I'm inclined to do. Not only do I like the concept of imputation, justification by grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, it's biblical. So let's dive into the Bible. How do these scriptures support the idea of imputed righteousness in the doctrine of justification? If you would, sir, accurately define for us justification. All right. Justification is the act of God, the act of his free grace by which he justly pardons all our sins and imputes our sin to Christ upon the cross and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and we are accepted as righteous in the sight of God and God declares us to be not guilty but righteous before his judgment bar. Romans three twenty three through 24, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible verse that we all memorized, I hope, as children, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This brings me back to the glory of God. If God created a universe for his glory, works are out because that would give me glory. Absolutely. So all glory goes to God because all grace is from God. It is freely bestowed upon us as an act of his mercy, and it is received by faith, even a faith that he's given to us to believe in him. Therefore, all the praise, all the glory goes to God. And that's from theology proper. It would make no sense that we go to heaven, let's just say 80% God, you know, For you, 90% God, and 10%, 20% us, well, we could get a little praise. We could pat ourselves on the back. Studying theology proper, it just makes it go, well, that's out of the question. And so justification by grace alone is necessary. It would be almost like, well, you bought my dinner last night. Let me do the tip. Let, Let me just throw something in at the end. To do my part. Yeah, I wish I wish you had. Titus 3, 7, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justification pardons all of our sins, and the Bible says so. It is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. Romans 4, verse 4 says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, referring to Christ, who justifies the ungodly, referring to us, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And he now quotes from Psalm 32 to show it's always been this way. It was this way in the Old Testament, is now this way in the New Testament. This is not a new message. This is the one and only true way of salvation from cover to cover in the Bible. And so Paul now quotes this text, Psalm 32, and he says, "'Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven.'" and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That is good news. But we've got to figure out a couple of verses that cause us to just stop for a moment and say, okay, is this really the right thing for God to do? Because Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous... 
both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So it hints, well, it doesn't hint, it just says, if you forgive somebody who's guilty, you're an abomination. But that's exactly what you just read about in Romans chapter 4. God forgives the unrighteous. So how now do I harmonize these two concepts? Well, very simply, because Christ has stood in our place and become guilty on our behalf by becoming sin for us. Therefore, the judgment due my sin fell upon Christ. The guilt and the the debt that I owed to God, Christ has paid. So therefore, God deals with me based upon Christ. God is not releasing our sins as though they're never paid. Christ has taken care of them. Yeah, I think Proverbs is talking about an unjust judge, refuses to actually carry out justice. God doesn't do that. He's the just judge of all the earth, and he does carry out justice. It just isn't carried out on you. It was carried out on his own son instead. So the harmony is solved through the doctrine of imputation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Was Jesus a sinner based on that verse? No, but Jesus did receive the imputation of our sin, and he carried, it says, he bore our sin in his body upon the tree. Romans five seventeen through 19, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 3, verse 21 and following says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because we are living in a six-second attention span vines kind of world, could I boil it down this simply, justification equals not guilty. Well, it is more than that. It is not simply that we are not guilty. It is that we are given a standing of perfect righteousness before the judge of all the earth. It's not only the removal of the negative, it is the acquisition of the positive. Going back to the active and passive obedience that we discussed earlier, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 16, same thing. Jesus took your sin upon himself. He was throttled for you so that you don't have to be more than that. You're not just escaping punishment and wrath. You are loved and seen as righteous. That's a part, by the way, of the gospel. I don't hear a lot of preachers talking about, and that's a bummer. Well, we must be clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ 
As we stand before the judgment bar of heaven, God looks upon the Son and pardons us and gives to us the righteousness of Christ. And the good news is it comes from faith alone. Going back to the Reformers, talked about five solas. What are they, sir? Sola Scriptura, and and as I lay this out, let me give you the picture of a temple. Sola Scriptura is the foundation of this entire temple of salvation. Everything rests upon what the Bible alone says. Rome said it is by Scripture and tradition, Scripture and ecclesiastical councils, and the Pope. The Reformers said, no, it is by Scripture alone. Three pillars rest upon this foundation— by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the most succinct statement of salvation that you will ever hear. Those are the fundamentals of the true Christian gospel. And when those are in place, over the top of the temple, rising to the highest peak or apex, is solely Deo Gloria for the glory of God alone. If there's a crack in the foundation or if any one of these three pillars topple and fall, then the glory of God would come crashing down as far as praise being given to God. Not just what he said, but what the Bible says. Romans three twenty-five through 26, God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hence, faith alone. Not some faith and some works, not some faith and some deeds, not some faith and a confession, not faith and some money, faith alone. The exclusivity of faith in Christ. Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, it could not be more clear if it were a button hook in the well water, justification is by faith alone. Romans 5.1 is at the very heart of what we're saying. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to Ephesians 2.8.9, Romans 3.20, Galatians 2.16, Galatians 3.11, the righteous man will live by faith. Galatians 5, by the way, the righteous man will live by faith. What was the name of that reformer who found I, that verse to be rather important? I think it was Martin Luther who was trying really hard to be perfect. Trying harder than anyone could possibly imagine, and he finally came to the end of himself and put faith alone in Christ alone. So we can thank Martin Luther and others, like Knox and Tyndale and Wycliffe and even Hus Savannarola, who went about the business of contradicting the Roman Catholic Church to say, "Mm -mm, the Bible is clear, grace alone, faith alone. Now, To be precise, does my faith save me? No, Jesus Christ is our Savior. It is our faith that puts us in touch or in connection with Christ, but it is Christ alone who saves. Could I say that faith is the mechanism, but Jesus is the Savior? It is the instrument or the instrumentality of our justification. Now... If you don't mind me saying, this is the moment that I have been waiting for the implications of the glorious doctrine of justification and imputation. There are many. We've whittled it down to nine. Go. Number one, this means that justification by faith alone is not personal, but vicarious, not infused, but imputed. 
not experiential, but judicial, not psychological, but legal, not our own righteousness, but an alien righteousness given to us by God, received by faith, not by works. Number two, check this out. The doctrine of justification means in God's sight, you, the ungodly person, now in Christ, you have perfectly kept the moral law of God. You say, how can that be? You've sinned a bunch. I know. In Christ, God sees you through the filter of justification as you have fulfilled all righteousness. So every one of the commands, every one of the do this, don't do that, God looks at you in Christ and says, he's done it. She's passed completely. You are seen as righteous. Number three, justification possesses an eschatological dimension. By that we mean when Jesus Christ returns— We as believers need not panic or be fearful and pull away. He will accept us fully and take us back to heaven because we are justified by faith. It means that saving faith is directed to the doing and dying of Christ alone and not to the good works or inner experience of the believer. Number five, your salvation is secure. It is a once and for all, now and forever, final transaction between God and the sinner based upon our faith. It is an irrevocable justification. We can never fall from grace. We can never lose our salvation. It means that the Christian's righteousness before God is in heaven at the right hand of God and Jesus Christ and not on earth and not reliant on us. Number seven, you will never be punished by God for your sin. That is glorious. It means that the ground for our justification is the vicarious work of Christ for us, not the gracious work of the Spirit in us. Number nine, we are not saved by our sanctification, but by our justification. And so we must not bring our sanctification into our justification. Our sanctification, our good deeds are a result of justification, not the cause for our justification. And if anybody tells you otherwise, you tell them about the doctrine of justification and imputation as heard in Lecture 22 of Drive-By Theology.